0: Lately I've been reeling, watching the nightly news Don't seem to find the rhythm, just wanna sing the blues Feels like a song that never stops Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get that fire, fire back in my bones Praise God we can choose joy, amen? Let's give him praise. In the midst of anything and everything we face, we can choose to rejoice and give him praise for what he is doing. Today we begin a new series inspired by the book of Philippians where Paul, uh, given the words of God from the Holy Spirit, writes the church in Philippi and says this in Philippians 4.4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And we have so much to, to have to uh, rejoicing about today salvation uh, that jesus died for us that we were sinners uh, headed to hell and by the grace of god we are now on the path to heaven through the blood of jesus that that is something to to be in, in great praise about we have the ability to gather here for worship and while that may come and go at times we're so glad you're online uh while while we have uh, uh, such a great praise of god for the ability to support one another and uh Spur one another on. We also are blessed until he returns. And we have so much to be thankful for. Some specific things to be thankful for, I just want to remind you. Last Sunday, we finished up three years of the Gospel Project, and the Gospel Project was a Christian education focus in Sunday school and other places where the entire church from birth all the way through the oldest group uh, went through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, looking at how the redemptive, the redemptive plan of God is alive in the good news. Let's praise God for that journey we went on there. Today, many of our Sunday school uh, Groups started new journeys together. Our, our children's ministry this morning is starting a new curriculum called Orange and we're excited about that. We believe your children, your grandchildren, the young people of our church are gonna come alive with practical truth from God's word to put in their hearts and put into practice. And that's, that's tremendous. God is doing some new and fresh things. Uh, for a while it seemed like it's been a long time coming but we're getting into the next few weeks to launching a lot of these things and we want you to know about them. One of them, alongside of Orange, is our fall program on Wednesday night. we will begin September 15th. There are going to be four adult classes that you can join. And they will uh, go on at different times. The first one is this, a foundations class, where you can come to a smaller group and study some core truths of what we believe. Uh, you're, You're invited to join there. There's going to be a class that's called Financial Peace where you can learn uh, fundamentals of biblical truths about finance and and some practical advice of this world of of how just to handle finance as well. There's going to be a class on spiritual parenting, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute, but that'll uh, be a 12-week class. If you want to be a better spiritual parent or grandparent, man, sign up for that class. There's also going to be a class that will be led by the preacher from the previous Sunday, where we're going to dive into God's Word in the sermon to a deeper level, Uh, We're going to discuss some things how we can apply that. We're going to pray together. We'll share in communion, and it's going to kind of be a hybrid between a a Bible study and a worship service. So you can get involved in all those on Wednesday night. Uh, Another thing that you can join us in next Sunday is called uh, alongside the spiritual parenting class is preparing for adolescence. If you are a parent of a child between nine and twelve, this is the perfect spot for this class. It's next Sunday night and. Andrea Andris, our family life pastor, is going to be sharing some really great advice, some, some practical tools from God's word on how to disciple your children who are becoming teenagers. I wish I had that class because right now I have four teenagers. Teenage boys, I have yet to take that class. But that is also a part of what we call faith path. Uh, Today is the first day you can see this. There's a a parent hub just right across from the children's check-in. It will tell you different faith paths that are happening with parenting Uh, right now in our church. The first one is that next Sunday and then on Wednesday nights uh, through the fall. Get signed up for those. Talk to Andrea if you would want to be a parent to get plugged into one of those. It's really going to change us from being a church that really grows our students and children just by maybe what we do at church, but what we do at church and at home. It brings those two worlds together as one for the sake of our kids and our families. Also on Wednesday night, this last announcement, on the 15th, we start a kids program again. For kindergarten through the fifth grade, it's going to be called Kids Club. For years, we've called that station, uh, but we've changed that to kids' club, and then kids' choir is now also going to take place if your children want to be involved in the kids' choir, get them plugged in on Wednesday nights, see Tiffany or Michelle for that. If you are a parent in one of those classes or working on Wednesday night, there's a place for your younger child as well, where they'll be cared for and taught some biblical truth on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30. If you missed last week, Ben talked real quickly, there's not going to be a slide, but the student ministry is going to have their small groups on Wednesday night and their big programming is going to be Sunday night so see Ben if you have a teenager for that but the elders and I and the staff are excited that God is doing some new things more than I can even share right now God is going to provide hope to some people we don't even know yet I believe this fall and winter amen God is God is doing some things that that are going to be a reminder that he's in control and it starts today for you I hope right now this name may, may not just be your sign. This is how you look, how you feel. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. The, the, you're going to hear a little bit of testimony in the, uh, the message today. On Monday morning, this, I felt more like that than I look today. Hey, what's going on, God? What, what are you doing these things? What's going on? And I believe our church needs the hope of Jesus now as much as ever. The world needs the hope of Jesus. A couple months ago, I planned a sermon series for September that was going to, to really focus on The comeback, spiritually and physically of the church, and right now the climate we're in, I chose not to go there, whether you're here or online. I want each of you to hear this message from Philippians today that that reminds us that we can have joy no matter what we face, no matter what the world is saying. So here's the big idea. Joy is a choice. Happiness is often what happens to us. Whether it's something good or something great, we feel happy for a moment, but joy is a choice no matter what you experience, no matter if this is how you feel or you feel like a brand new person today. Whether your pockets are full of cash or you're flat broke, joy is a choice that we can have through Jesus. Some of you are thinking right now, it's impossible for me to be happy, let alone be joyful. Please hear me, I'm not encouraging any of you to think that this is a happy season for some of you. Some, for some of you, this season stinks. It's rough. It may even be depressing, but that does not mean the devil of the world or your life has to rob you of joy. And Paul commands us to rejoice. And you may be thinking, well, sure, it's easy for Paul. He met Jesus face to face. He's going to be joyful all the time. He's in a happy situation in life. Wrong. When Paul writes this book of Philippians, which is a letter to the church of Philippi, he's in prison. He's chained uh, to a prison guard awaiting trial and possibly death. It, his life is not easy, and yet he says again and again, rejoice. So let's do a look at a little context before the content. This letter to the church of Philippi was written by Paul, who used to be known as Saul. And Saul lived most of his adult life as a a, a Pharisee, one of the greatest Pharisees of all times, really, because he had it figured out. A a good Pharisee made sure the Jewish culture was protected from the Gentiles, especially the Christians. And Paul did whatever he could to make sure the church or Christianity wasn't going to grow, it was going to be stunted. He was even willing to kill Christians, to stone Stephen. This was who Saul was. He he was committed to keeping down the church until he met Jesus. And then he changed and he became a missionary and did whatever he could to help the church grow. He became an evangelist. He planted churches all throughout Asia. And the church in Philippi that we're going to read his letter from today was his first church plant in Europe. So Paul was thriving. When he first went to Philippi, he met a woman named Lydia. Lydia. She was a, a, a smart and wise and wealthy businesswoman. And he began a relationship with her uh, for the sake of the church. And, and they partnered together. And through her resources and relationships, the church exploded. The church was growing. So much so, uh, the religious leaders uh, of the Jewish faith and, and the Roman government at that time in that area, uh, the, the leaders of that culture were saying, hey, Paul is a threat or Saul is a threat. What we knew him as that. And, and he needs to be put in prison. He was put in prison. But the church continued to grow and they prayed for Paul while he was in prison. And then one night as he was in prison with his friend Silas, there was a great earthquake. You may remember this story. And the Bible says that the chains broke free and the doors came open. And the prison guard, the soldiers, like, man, I'm done for. Because his job, his only job was to make sure these guys didn't escape. No matter if there was an earthquake or not, a tornado, a typhoon, no matter what, uh, there would have to be security of these prisoners. And these prisoners now were going to be able to be run free. So Paul sees him, I believe in the midst of the darkness, preparing to take his own life, probably falling a sword. And Paul yells out, don't do it! We're here! We're all here! Uh, You don't have to take your life! We're not going anywhere! just want to talk to you. And they begin to share with him more about Jesus. The jailer and his entire family begin to trust Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 16. Paul's telling them about Jesus and he says believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. This word for believe here is directly connected to our word trust. It wasn't enough just to know Jesus is real. Paul says you can trust him. He says trust and believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And this this spoke to this guy. He's like I'm about ready to kill myself and and, and this guy's telling me uh, my whole family can be blessed. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. They told him about Jesus and what he did for them. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and, his, and all of his household were baptized. Guys, this gives great evidence right now. And I know I'm not Paul, but, but if you know today that Jesus is your Savior, he died for you uh, on the cross, his blood was shed for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and he has been raised to a new life and he's on the throne. If you believe that, trust in him, you can and should be baptized today. We, we see here that, that these people believed and trusted and they were baptized in the middle of the night. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. The jailer's like, this is, this is amazing. Just a couple of hours ago, I was going to kill myself and now my whole family has hope because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So picture this. I tell you that backstory because Lydia... And all the people they brought to church, and the jailer and his household and his buddies, they are the people that Paul is now riding as he's now in prison again. See, Paul went on from Philippi to plant more churches. And the churches kept growing, and people began to be more frustrated with Paul. So he winds up in jail again, and they're just saying, Paul, quit quit promoting Christ. Uh, Just be a good Roman citizen. And Paul finds himself again, after leaving Philippi, chained to another prison guard, awaiting trial, maybe even sentenced to death. You talk about a rough life. Sometimes we think these biblical characters had it easy and they were always happy. Paul's in prison again. And his message is rejoice. No matter what you face. So here's the working definition we're going to work with through joy this series the next four weeks. Joy is experiencing great delight through trusting the Lord and anticipating his promises regardless of current circumstances. That worked for Paul in prison, it worked for the church of Philippi, and it works for us in Greenville, Illinois, 2021. Despite your current circumstances, you can have joy as you trust in Jesus. Bottom line. There's joy in trusting in Jesus. Amen. Happiness is not a choice. Happiness is a natural instinct that we have in our hearts when things go well. A good thing happens, we smile, we get happy. That, that, that thing is taken away, we often get down and, and get frustrated. Happiness is not a choice, it's a natural human instinct. But joy is deeper, it's a choice. Let me, let me give you an example of happiness. I was able to announce to Dee this morning at first service that I mean, it's a big deal. We applied as elders for a, uh, a trip for D to go uh, to Hawaii for a week of retreat and a week of training, and I was able to announce that to D this morning. And you should have seen his face light up. He was he was ready to leave in the middle of service. I mean, it, it created some happiness. And then I broke the news to him. D was another um, bad. Um, he was another like uh, example of a bad illustration because it was not true. And the happiness faded away just as quick as it came. I wonder how many times you have that moment, man, on football yesterday. It was that moment where the kid is running and it was in the rain, and all of a sudden we think it's a touchdown, and then all of a sudden the football's loose, and your heart goes from uh, jubilation because there's gonna be a score to chaos because the football's bouncing around the field. Or maybe it's because you thought you were gonna get a promotion, all of a sudden you got laid off. Or you thought you were going to go on a 25th anniversary and your spouse says, I don't even love you anymore. And happiness is gone. Or a report from a doctor. That has nothing to do with happiness. But I want you to know, as we see in this text, we're going to see that we can choose joy. And no matter what's before us, uh, no matter our circumstances, in Jesus we can rejoice. Eric already read it and did a great job. But we got to look to Jesus to have the right perspective. Here's what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews twelve two: Fixing our eyes on Jesus, focusing on him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God at the throne of God. Some people think, well, everything was happy for Jesus. This scripture gives us insight. There was nothing happy about the cross. Notice what it says. He endured it. Just talk to somebody about running cross-country. Well, I ran cross-country, there was very little happy about it. You endure it, but you know there's a blessing in in, in competition. There's a blessing in potential victory. There's a blessing in the benefit of your body. But during the race, there was no fun for me. And that is magnified tremendously in the cross. And, And the Word of God lets us see this, that Jesus, being fully human, did not find the cross to be anything of happiness. But he saw the joy that was coming for what he was doing for us on the cross and through the cross, And through his resurrection, it says he endured it for the joy set before him. Scorning at shame, uh, that means he, 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 he despised it. And yet he participated in because of what was to come. In much the same way, Paul is in prison for the sake of the gospel. And there was no happiness in prison. And yet Paul says, I rejoice because I know what God is doing through the church and through my testimony I wonder what you've got in your life. There's not a cross in your life right now. Uh, However, Jesus says, bear your own cross, but it's not a literal cross. I wonder what you're going through right now that feels so rough and so frustrating that you need to be reminded of joy. Paul's going to tell us how to seek that joy. As he writes in the book of Philippians, you can turn there to Philippians chapter one. He's going to give us some really practical things today. This is why I'm excited about this message. There's going to be three practical things that you can put into your life and practice to help you with joy. He gives a basic introduction here. He says, hey, it's Paul writing this letter, where where he's at. And then he tells him this in Philippians 1 verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He thanks God while he's in prison. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, no matter what he faced, no matter what's going on, I have joy whenever I think of what God is doing in us, that he's completing us, what he started, that he is securing our salvation, and no one can take that away. You see, joy is experiencing great delight. Through trusting the Lord and anticipating His promises, regardless of current circumstances. Trusting God produces joy, but it's hard. As we focus on Jesus and see what He did, why can't we put that into practice in our lives as well? Oftentimes, because we don't have the proper focus. We have to remember that no matter how it feels, God is doing a work and he is powerful enough to see complete to see to completion anything and everything he started in you for his glory and for your good. But we lose focus. We look at the wrong things. Makes me think of this glass of water. You've you've heard this illustration a hundred times. When you look at this, when you look at this representing your life and just your circumstances, what do you see? Is it half empty or is it half full? Neither. I mean, I, I did the measurement. It's like 75% full. But some of us focus on, on that emptiness, that thing we're lacking so quickly. And I want us to consider this at this moment. When you look at your life, when you look at the blessings, uh, when, you, when you look at the, the frustration, uh, do you have joy or are you focused on the wrong part of the, the equation? What steals your joy quicker than anything else? Honestly, right now, what's that one or two things that you could put down a piece of paper that you could acknowledge that has you focused on the burdens of life instead of the blessings? We all have them. Those one or two things that keeps you from seeing what God has done in your life and, and think about how your life is maybe rotten or, or turned upside down. Those one or two things that, that you uh, would give to God and say, God, you either fix it or take it away. Well, what are those one or two things that you're so frustrating? You say, God, just take it. It can't be your kids or your spouse. You have to keep them, okay? We're tempted at times. But honestly, what is it? You probably have a list of more than one or two. I get to, pre- I get to practice or live what I preach. At the beginning of the week, especially on Monday, I had a list of things that were kind of frustrating to me. I had a list of things that if I looked at this glass, I was only looking at the top. In fact, when I met people, I can remember coming in the office on Monday morning, Adith said, how are things going? And I kind of puked on him four or five things that were frustrating to me. And I'm not going to share them today because I've been convicted that I had a bad attitude at the beginning of this week. Oh, what was me. Things aren't going my way. I don't know what to do on this or that. This isn't going so well. In about every major category, there was something that was messed up, but it was only four or five things, and I was sharing it with others. I wonder if you ever get in that point where, where you're so focused on, on the crud, you can't see the blessing. How do we refocus? What, 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 what allows us to choose Joy. It has a lot to do with trusting Jesus, but Paul gives us three things here in this text that you can apply. In fact, I believe if you could even just grab a hold of one of these and hold on tight and apply it, it will change your life. The first is this, make a choice to be grateful. He says in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God every time. You're like, well, how often does he really thank God? All the time, every time. In fact, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, another uh, letter he wrote he says i give thanks in all circumstances paul says no matter what my life circumstances are i give thanks in these things and these things in all things in everything i give thanks boy that changes your attitude choose to give thanks will put you in a perspective of joy not always of happiness, but, but of joy. Next time you have a list of things that are just kind of rotten, I, I want you to spend uh, four or five minutes, maybe ten, and, and just list the things that you're thankful for. It, it, it matters. I, I told you this week my, my list started out with just some things that were, that were rough, that were frustrating. And I was convicted of this as I began to work on my message. And I took a moment, took a, a, a posty note, and I just took about five or six minutes and wrote down as all the things came to my mind. The obvious things and the not so obvious things that began to flow. And, and, and praise God in that moment as I sat as I down to do that, my mind did not get distracted by the things of frustration. And, and I wrote th- down things like this. I praise God for my, sal- uh, my salvation in Jesus Christ that I am forgiven and made right with God. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. I thank God for his word. I thank, I thank God uh, for my, my wife, Tiffany, my boys, Dawson, Deacon, Declan, and Drake, and my daughter, Daily. I thank God for my church family, the elders. I wrote this down. I thank God for the staff. I thank God for you, my brothers, sisters, in Christ. I thank God for my house, my food. And then, and then I thank God for food again. I don't know. I was hungry at that time. Then I thank God for living in a place like uh, Bond County, Greenville specifically, Illinois. It's a great place, Illinois, as much as uh, we we pick on it sometimes, Illinois is a good place. I thank God for the United States of America and so many people in in reflecting uh, on this week we're coming into that labored hard to build it up and to make it what it is. I thank God, and I went on for another three minutes and just little things, thank God for athletics and automobiles, and the list kept going on and on. I hope you get the point. And you know something amazing happened? My attitude changed. I got a better attitude. Did I still have a list of three or four things that were frustrating? I did, but I wasn't focused on them. And I caught myself when I began to complain and share those things. And I tried to begin to live with the staff and my family and other people I came into contact with that I'm blessed because my list of blessings far outweighs the list of burdens. And even if it doesn't, we still can rejoice. You may have a list of of, of burdens that are heavy and only one blessing today, that Jesus Christ your Savior. And again, I would say rejoice. It's all about perspective, what we're looking at. And then I realized the staff was in a similar place that I was as a a whole. I don't know if each individual one was, but I sensed tension. I don't know if you know what's been going on in Illinois this week. We had a lot of questions. Hey, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? How are we going to handle this? And some of the staff felt pressure of that as, as, as questions came to them from a lot of different ways. And I sense that because when we get frustrated, guess who we take it out on? The people we're with the most. So the staff started being short with one another a little bit, some in fun and some in, in anxiousness. And so as we headed into the staff meeting, I just put a challenge before them. I said, I want you to give thanks for in one way for each person on staff and in one way for Jesus. And we did this working document online and we filled up a page of just things we we're thankful for one another in Jesus. And then we shared in communion. And you know what happened? Our attitude got better. We need to have a culture of thanksgiving. I want to challenge you in your homes, and your families, have a culture of thanksgiving. Give thanks for the things you're blessed with. When you're driving your car and there's time to kill, instead of just flipping through the radio stations like we're tempted to do, instead of talking about nothing, uh, instead uh, instead of just daydreaming, spend some time just saying, hey, guys, aren't we blessed? And give thanks for this and that acknowledge the crops that we've been blessed with this year this may be the best harvest we've ever had give thanks to god for that that doesn't happen automatically he's got to send the rain he's got to send all the right things give thanks for uh things you see give thanks for things you don't see when you go to bed at night if you're still tucking your kids in or or addressing them before to go to bed say just let them know you're thankful for something and let them uh challenge them to say they're thankful for something before you eat a meal spend some time being thankful if, if paul can do it so can we Maybe try this. This is is a big challenge. Follow Paul's example and write a letter or note and put it in the mail to someone you care about that you're thankful for and just say, Hey, I am thankful for this about you. It will bring joy to them and to you, I promise. Like, well, I've not done that for a while. Try it. Maybe send a text or an email or, or even do this. Go up to somebody. Say, Scott, I am so thankful that you have been an educator in Greenville For so many years, you've impacted so many students. I'm thankful for you. That gives joy to me and to Scott. Find someone and spend uh, someone each day and let them know you're thankful for them. And you know what happens? A right perspective. Joy. Make a choice to be grateful and choose joy. Make a choice also to pray. We see it in the text. Look what it says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with Joy. Paul's a stud. He says, "I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at the good things. I'm having joy because of what I see happening, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now." Think about people that you're in relationship with, uh, for the sake of Christ, and say, "I'm praying for you," and it gives me joy to know that we're partners in this, that we're in a relationship. Another place in Scripture, Paul says, "I pray without ceasing." He is telling us to choose to pray for our partners in the gospel. You can say this a little simpler. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your church family. Pray for that pastor that helped lead you to Christ. Pray for for that person who who took the time to pray with you and, and to share Jesus with you or to teach you a lesson. Pray for that person. They'll be encouraged. See, one of the greatest remedies for sadness, being down in the dumps, hey, pay attention to this, one of the greatest remedies for just being down or depressed, that, that's, that is a, a word that is real. Depression is real. One of the greatest remedies for depression, if you want to know, is not a pill, it's not counseling, it is praying for others because it gets your mind off of your own problems and it pursues God and his power and it affects them and it affects you. It is difficult to stay down when you're lifting others up in prayer. Think about that. It is difficult to stay down when you're lifting others up in prayer. So next time you're feeling sorry for yourself, pray for someone and lift them up. If you're like me, it's possible to have a down day. Let's be honest. I've already admitted. I've led with it. While I do not believe I've I've suffered depression hardly at all in my life, and I know that's a whole other level, every once in a while raise your hand if you just have a bummer of a day, a down day. It's most of us now. Some of us aren't geared that way, but it's possible to have a down day. What you can do is begin to pray for others. There was a time in life I was having a pretty bummer of a day. I was feeling sorry for myself. It was like the best of times and the worst of times. Ministry in Hersher was growing. We we had been serving there for a few years. The church had doubled and then it doubled again. And um, I, for the first time, after about three years, I was back on staff alone. No other person was on staff. I was the only full-time uh, pastor our youth minister uh, during a time of great growth, had, had really grown, and he went away to his home church to be a preacher there. So I'm in my office on Monday morning after resigns, trying to find uh, and make connections to, hey, let's bring another youth pastor in. And I was feeling sorry for myself. I was like, God, I'm doing all that I can. I can't carry this load all by myself. And I started to have a pity party for Tyson. Anybody ever had a pity party? It's like, God, I can't do this. He already knew that. And I started complaining about being all alone and feeling sorry for myself and realizing while the church was growing, God, why would you ever leave me to do all this by myself? Because it wasn't about me anyways. And yet I complained for about an hour in my office by myself. And then God told me to snap out of it and I put a CD in of casting crowns. My favorite CD of that time. I still love the band. And there was a song where it talks about if we're the church, what are we going to do? And it hit me hard that we're going to be praying. And in prayer, we, we pursue God's power and we're going to be praying for others. And what I began to do is pray for my partners, the elders of the church. They were feeling very similar to I was. Uh, my wife and I prayed for the, the church in Hersher. And then I, I thought, man, we just can't pray about this church. I need to pray for my partners of other places. And in central Illinois, you know what is norm is for a pastor to be alone in church. So I started praying for the other pastors in my region that I knew that were feeling probably like me all alone on Monday morning. I was like, man, I need to encourage one one of these guys. So I prayed for this guy, and I called him. I got him on the phone. I said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I know you're doing a good job, but sometimes you feel like you're alone. And I prayed with him, and he said, thank you. It had been months, if not over a year, since someone had ever prayed with him or for him. And it gave him joy that someone was praying But more important than I'm praying for him, what we were saying, declaring together is it wasn't about us. We were trusting God and we needed him because when we trust God, there's where the joy comes from. Paul prayed for his partners and so should we. I would encourage you to pray for your partners in ministry. Uh, I'm going to make a habit of this right now. I'm going to continue to pray. And not that I've not been doing this, but it's going to be a daily thing right now as we focus on joy. Instead of getting down, I'm going to pray for the elders and the staff and our ministry team leaders, and you, my brothers, sisters in Christ, that we would go out from this place. This is not what this is about. As we go out, we would have joy, and that's what's going to attract people to Jesus. Not to say, well, man, things are tough. Nobody's coming to church. we got these decisions, this this division. And and instead of praying for your elders, you know what sometimes we're tempted to do is second-guess them. Let me give you a challenge. Next time before you guess or second-guess what the elders have done, take a moment and pray for them. And see if it doesn't get you a different perspective. And then after you pray for them, give them a call up and say, what are you doing? All right? But before you lay into them or ask them questions and, and give an opinion, do what Paul did and pray for them. And joy will come. I don't know what type of crud is going on in your life right now. Some of you do. Some of you, I can guess. But if you have things that are taking your eyes away from the blessings to be thankful... Whatever's happening here may be in your life right now to take you to a position to pray and trust in God like you've never done. And even in the midst of your hardest moments and your most tragic turmoil, God is saying, trust me and I'll give you joy. Trust me and I'll give you joy. Because you've been doing it on your own for a while and you're doing pretty good and you've accomplished this or that, but that will just lead to happiness. Real joy comes from Jesus, so trust him no matter what and pray about it. Joy is experiencing great delight through trusting the Lord and anticipating His promises regardless of your current circumstances. Bottom line is trusting God produces joy. So pray about it. One more thing that Paul tells us to do here, and this gets me fired up. Make a choice to be confident in Christ. Look what he says. He's just told us to be grateful and to pray. And then he says, hey, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion until the day of of Christ Jesus. He's saying God is gonna fulfill in you what he started until Christ returns. Look what he says in Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. See, rejoice that we have a confident hope. Our hope in Christ is not something that's wishful thinking. Our hope in Christ is for sure, it's certain. He will return one day, and those that are trusting in him or commit to him will go to be with him forever. That is our confident hope. So choose to be confident in Christ until he comes again. Because he's going to complete what he started because you're valuable enough for him to complete what he started in you. He's he's made it all possible. He's not gonna stop now. He's gonna see it through to completion. How many of you are like me? This is hard for us to process that he's always going to complete what he started. How many of you are like me that it's possible on any given day you'll start something and then not see it through to complete it? Anybody like start a book, chapter two, you're like, "Eh, that's not for me. Maybe you start a project in your house and then you start another one and another one and there's three projects behind you that are, if you're like that, we we can relate as humans that we don't see things through to completion, but that's not God. He's perfectly powerful enough, perfectly uh, complete enough to, to fulfill everything he started. A few weeks ago, the boys uncovered my baseball card collection. They were down in our storage in our basement. I don't remember what they were looking for, but they found some of my baseball cards. They pulled out a tub, and it was full. Man, uh, it was a big part of my life in the, in the mid-80s. And they opened up this one uh, base uh, tub, and there was a baseball card set, a full set. They came in boxes about this long, and there'd be about 800 cards in those sets. And they were generally, when you bought them, in order from 1 to 838 like or whatever. Not this set, because in 1985, the top set that I got for my birthday, I decided to do a project. I was going to put the entire set in order from 1 to 838 From the best batting average to the worst, all the way through. It took a lot of time looking on the back and then shuffling and creating some organization. And then I was going to put them all in these plastic sleeves to protect it. It was going to be uh, an organization, uh, just phenomenal thing that I was going to do. I worked on that for three days, got to like number 200. And I stopped. I lost focus. I didn't complete it. When we opened that tub, I knew exactly what that set was meant to be done in my mind. And I was tempted to start up that project again and order those 838 cards in that, batting order order, uh, in that order from highest batting average to lowest for about three seconds. I'm like, that's not worth it. I put that tub away and I will never complete that. It's, it's not valuable. But you know what is you? And what God has set apart in your life, He will see to completion. And he is working diligently in a lot of different ways, mainly through Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross to prepare a way for you to be with him forever. So when things don't feel right, know that God is still working and he's not going to stop until that day of completion comes. But you know what distracts us as much as anything to knowing that he's going to complete it? It It's a sliver that's always, as a human, available in our minds, in our hearts, and in our fears. Is what's going to happen when we die. What if we die? What if we get sick? What if a tragedy happens? What if we're in an accident and we die? Uh, There's no joy in that. There's no happiness in that. And Paul sets us straight. If one of your main things right now is the fear of death and what that means, Paul's going to speak to that right now. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, I pray you read it this week, 18 times he mentions the name of Jesus and his power. In one chapter, he mentions Jesus Christ 18 times. He's setting the stage that Jesus, the one who died and came back to life, has the uh, power over even death. And he's wanting us to focus on that power. And here's what he says at the end of chapter one. He's talking about Jesus. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. He, he, He says it again. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says to live is for Christ, and to die is even better. One of the greatest thieves right now in our culture, in many people's mind, is this fear of death. And what if this happens? What if we're overwhelmed by death? What if, what if sickness and stuff comes so much where, where our family's destroyed? Paul says we're going to live for Christ, and if we die, it's even better. So live! And know that joy comes. Does that mean we're reckless? Absolutely not. But it means we don't live in fear. And we know if we choose Jesus, joy will come, even when happiness is nowhere to be found. This week, I didn't share this first service, but my cousin died. I was preaching about four months ago and I saw him in the back window. I didn't even know he was going to be here. He's living in Colorado. I haven't seen him for 10 years probably. His name's Buster. He died this week of a massive stroke. His funeral is this coming week, but Buster kept living even up until the point he died. And we're going to be able to celebrate this week as we celebrate his life that he lives through Jesus. Do we hurt? Is there any happiness in that? Not as a human, but there is truly happiness and joy because my cousin Buster lives through Jesus Christ. Will you choose joy? There will be a day you die. Will will your family, will your loved ones be able to say, we can rejoice even though he's dead, even though she's passed. So you can be grateful, you can pray, but most importantly, you can be confident as you trust Jesus. What's keeping you from seeing this? What are you looking at that's not fulfilled in your life that you can't focus on so much of the blessings that you have? Man, let it go. If there's no way that you can let that go, let me suggest that you haven't trusted Jesus yet. I mean fully. You may believe him, or you wouldn't probably be here today, but are you trusting in him? There is no joy apart from trusting in Jesus. So we're going to sing a song right now, There's Another in the Fire. It's a great story about three men that were put in a fire, and there was no happiness at all. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're in this fire being tortured for their faith, and all of a sudden they look over there, and there's one that appears to be the Son of Man. It is very possible that it was Jesus himself. And as they looked at him in the midst of that unhappy moment, can you not imagine the joy they felt to know that they weren't alone? And they weren't being burned up. They weren't being consumed. And even if they face death, even if they die, their eternity is with him. Would you stand with me as we sing? Father in heaven, I pray that if someone is facing death, if someone is being distracted by the junk of this world, that they see that Jesus is right there with us. And that we can have joy even when there's no happiness to be found. Father, if someone here needs to declare their trust in Jesus and be baptized today, let us follow the example of the jailer and make that happen right here, right now. We put this in your hands. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.